From the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Brotherly Pod, the official podcast of BrotherlyPuck.com. Welcome everybody to Brotherly Pod. It is the middle of summer. It is, what, the 21st of July today? Good lord. Well, that means hockey season is kind of quickly approaching. We're in the middle of the dead zone here, so, but there are still a couple moves happening. We're going to break down some of the divisions themselves as well, but welcome my guest today. He is the co-host of the Coast to Coast podcast. Anthony DeMarco is here. Anthony, how are you doing? Not too bad, Dan. How are you doing? It is 11 a.m. and it's 100 degrees already, so I'm not too thrilled with this weather right now, but, you know, that's what you live in in eastern Pennsylvania does for you, but, uh, you know, we do have some new trades, new signings that have happened. Uh, let's start with the big one, obviously. Jacob Truba, seven years at $56 million. That breaks down to $8 million a season. Uh, what were your initial reactions on the Jacob Truba trade? Well, it's Signing a hefty haul. It's a hefty haul for the Rangers, but you had to know that they were going to get it done. You know, they were a hard player for him, and I think it was rumored that they were his preferred destination. So I'm not overly surprised with the deal. Like, $8 million now is pretty much the going rate for a number one or even number two defenseman with the rising cap. And you see what guys like Carlson and Doughty and Ekman Larson are getting. So I think Truba's uh, contract is right in the ballpark of where he should have, where it should have landed. And I think it's going to age well. You know, seven years, the, the cap is projected to rise significantly in the next two or three seasons. So I think, you know, he's projected to be their number one long term. Like maybe Adam Fox will develop into that. But as of right now, he's far and away their number one. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good deal for the Rangers. And uh, Truba got what he was looking for and just good for both sides. But man, oh, man, Dan, they are eating up their cap space real fast in New York. Yeah, the Rangers wasted uh, no time, essentially, uh, you know, using all the cap that they had. Um, going back to Truba for a minute, you know, we talked a little about this before the show started, but, uh, you know, with Ivan Provorov still being restricted, now there's obviously, uh, uh, as you said, Bill Meltzer wrote a piece that said that they're not really comparable, but quite frankly, in terms of what Provorov is going to get on a long-term deal, I fully expect him to get about seven or eight years at, you know, seven and a half to eight and a half million well yeah i even wrote an article a few weeks back and the flyers had their hands tied because forget about what provorov is in compared to other highly touted and highly ranked defensemen in the nhl just look at how the flyers use him you know he's been on, on the team for three seasons he's averaged at least 24 minutes uh, per game in each of those seasons and he's not had a good supporting cast. Like, if you look at some other RFA defensemen, like, okay, so Truba had guys like Bufflin and Josh Morrissey and Tyler Myers and up until a few seasons ago, Toby Enstrom, like, surrounding him. Charlie McAvoy has had Krug and Zdeno Chara. And then you get to Ivan Provorov, and he's had who? Andrew McDonald, Radko Gudis. Okay, Shane Gossespierre at one point, but his season took a steep nosedive, and Provorov has been thrust into the role of, like, that anchor and veteran on the Flyers' defense for, like, pretty much right out of the gate. And I wrote that his best comparable was Aaron Ekblad. 
And Aaron Eckblad, even him, you know, he started his season, his career rather, playing alongside Brian Campbell and now playing alongside Keith Yandel, along with Michael Matheson, who has insulated him perfectly. So, yeah, even though maybe Provorov isn't quite there with all, like, these upper echelon $8 million defensemen in the NHL in terms of pure production, in terms of the, the team's reliance on him, the he is far and away an $8 million player for the Flyers. He was averaging 22 minutes of ice time during his rookie year. He averaged a 24 in his sophomore year, and he was over 25 this past season. So, I mean, they pretty much since he got here, he's been their top guy. And now that he's not signed, you know, if he's not signed by the time the season goes around and he holds out, I think the Flyers organization is going to realize right quick just how much he means to the team. Well, yeah, and, like, who's going to replace him? Like, okay, Travis Sandheim took strides this year, but as we've seen over the past few seasons in Philadelphia, you can't just rely on hopes and dreams. Gosses Spears' play took a steep nosedive. Phil Myers has played, what, 10 games in the NHL? Samuel Moray and Robert Haig are still have yet to define themselves as everyday NHLers. Well, maybe Robert Haig has, but at best a third-line, uh, third-pairing guy. And then Niskan and Braun are just brought in as veteran guys to help insulate the team. So, yeah, like, even if they move on from Provorov, let's say they try and, you know, have a staring contest with him and see who blinks first, the Flyers have no one that could even come close to replacing him. So I, I don't know what the game plan here is with Ivan Provorov, but eventually the Flyers are going to have to cave. Yeah, and I, I think they're probably going to end up paying the guy. You know, Truba may not be the most comparable player, but in terms of contract, that's uh, more or less what I expect Provorov to make, at least in the same ballpark anyway. Yeah, so I, I think eventually his deal is going to come in at 8 times 8 $64 million. And I'm a big believer in Provorov. I think a lot of his struggles the past year came at a came at a result of some intangible problems on the Flyers, not having anyone to lean on. He was playing hard minutes. And I know people have kind of crapped all over his offensive production, but what do you want from the guy? He was playing <laughs> like four, four minutes a, a game on the penalty kill. He was sit, starting so many of his shifts in the defensive zone, and he got, what, like second-line power play time at best? But the Flyers' first unit usually took up like 75% of that. So I don't really fault him for that. But And I think that with these new additions, like Braun and Niskanen, and maybe another year of Sanheim getting like some actual like decent minutes under a good coaching staff, not Haxtell burying him, maybe with this defensive court, Provov can excel in his offensive game. We saw in 2017-18, he scored about 19 goals. So I think all the potential is there. He's shown what he can do. I think he's a number one defenseman. And I think now he's better suited to realize that potential with the new additions to this uh, defensive core. Yeah, I never really saw him as much of an offensive guy. I, I think he can contribute to that level, but I don't think he's going to have to. I think once Sanheim uh, gets a little older and uh, Phil Myers expected to fill that offensive role as well, I think with those two and if Goss's Bear bounces back, I mean, there should be plenty of offense coming from the blue line that it shouldn't rely all on Provorov. And I think he was under the microscope this past season. He had uh, seven goals in 2018-19. Uh, but that's because, you know, Goss's Bear was essentially useless. And Sanheim, you know, didn't really get much of a chance until after Dave Haxtell was fired and Myers got called up and took him a couple of games to adjust. So I, I'm not super worried about uh, Ivan Provorov's offensive production at this point. You know, if it really slips, if he doesn't bounce back, then, you know, maybe you can talk about that. But for the most part, um, I fully expect Ivan Provorov to be more or less anywhere from, you know, the 6 to 12 goals on the usual from here on out. 
Yeah, and I like what you said that like you don't have to rely on Ivan Provorov to project offensive numbers. The Flyers just need a guy to get the puck up to the forwards. That's pretty much it, and that's been their biggest problem. And like, uh, I think that also came into that Radko Gudis trade where people love Radko Gudis' fucking advanced stats and this, that, and the other thing. But Gudis was good at stopping the play, but all he would do was chip it back out to center. Mm-hmm. And now they got a guy with Niskanen who's known for getting the puck up to the forwards. So I, I just think that that's what Provorov is good for. I kind of view Provorov kind of like an Alex Petrangelo type of defenseman. Can play the power play offensive minutes and put up some decent points, but that's not his main role. And, you know, like the the the, um, the St. Louis Blues have always had like an offensive defenseman to play behind Pietrangelo and eat up a lot of those power play minutes. Like it used to be Kevin Shanker. Now it's Vince Dunn. Pareko's kind of in there as well. So I don't think just because Provorov's projected as the number one or slotted in as the number one that he has to put up 45-plus points a year. As you mentioned, Sanheim has kind of shown flashes of it. Gossespierre has already done it. Myers seems to have the skill set to be that guy. So the offensive point production for Provorov for me is really just a bonus if it's there. I just want him to be able to eat minutes and play well and, you know, just defend the net. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much all I expect from him as well. Uh, the other signing that seems minuscule compared to Trubo was Brock McGinn in Carolina. He had uh, two years at $2.1 million per. He had 10 goals and 26 points last year. Uh, essentially just amounts to a depth signing for the Hurricanes. Yeah, you know, just a, a good depth guy. He played in their bottom six all year. Uh, he comes off the heels of the two-year deal they gave Ryan to Zingle. Excuse me. I think it was just a good deal for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, they seem to try and be keeping pretty much the whole band together. I don't think they could really afford to lose them. You know, their captain Justin Williams' future is still up in the air, so they're not very, they're not exactly blessed with an exponential amount of offensive talent on their roster. And I think McGinn's a good role player for them, still a, a young guy as well. So yeah, good signing for the Hurricanes, and uh, they need to hoard all the offensive talent that they have. And it looks like everybody they have is under contract at the moment. So there you go. Their team is full. They have uh, $2.49 million in cap space remaining. Let's talk trades. First up, the Artemanissima for Zach Smith trade, what was essentially more salary dumping for the Blackhawks. Artemanissima had two years left at 4.5. Zach Smith has two years left at 3.2. Gives the Blackhawks a little bit more cap room, and they can pretty much, they need pretty much every dollar they can find. Yeah, well, Stan Bowman has kind of been spending this summer. You know, he added Calvin DeHaan and Ole Mata on the back end to try and help solidify uh, their their defensive core as Keith and Seabrook have kind of taken a steep nosedive down. And then they added Alex Nylander. Obviously, he doesn't make all to that much uh, all that much money. But I think this deal was to create some cap room to sign RFA Brendan Perlini. Uh, I, I like the deal for the Ottawa Senators more. Obviously, they got the better player. I think he can add some dynamic offense to a lineup that lacks a lot of that after losing guys like Kyle Turris and Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone and we know all the guys that they've lost over the last year and a half but yeah the Ottawa Senators took advantage of a team that was up against the cap but I do like the the deal for the Chicago Blackhawks they've they're kind of adding more sandpaper to their lineup as we've seen you know they reacquired Andrew Shaw Zach Smith is obviously that kind of player so, yeah, I think that I like what I see from the Chicago Blackhawks. I think they're going to make a push to get back into the playoffs. Obviously, 
I don't think they're a bona fide, you know, lock to get into the playoffs. But I like the additions that they've made. And obviously, Zach Smith is a bit of a downgrade from Artem Anisimov. But if it allows them to re-sign a guy like Perlini, then it makes total sense. So, yeah, good move for the Blackhawks and an even better move for the Senators. God, Duncan Keith is 36 and Brent Seabrook is 34. Jesus. Yeah, look how long they're locked up for. <laughs> Seabrook has five years left at 6.8, and Keith has four years left at 5.5. Holy shit. Well, I remember Keith signed that contract, I think, maybe not fresh off his ELC, but either his third contract or his second. It was 13 years He's since. He signed forever. He signed it in uh, 2010. Yeah, he signed it right before they won their first Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah. My God. Yeah, so it was his third contract because he signed a four-year deal right off of his ELC. But, I mean, that, that contract looked good for a lot of years. You know, he, he's a smidge over $5.5 million and he won a Norris Trophy. I think for a three-, four-year stretch there, he was, if not the best, but a top-five defenseman in the league at the very least. So now you're kind of, you know, taking, taking the shot in the arm in his latter half years, but I think they got a good value for his contract for the most part. Yeah, and uh, that Seabrook one is just plain ugly. Well, that one never made sense because <laughs> he signed that after they won their last cup. They, they He signed it in the training camp of 2015, and they won the Stanley Cup in June of 2015. That one never made sense to me. But it felt like Stan Bowman was kind of pulling a Dean Lombardi, like paying guys for what they did. You know, when Lombardi locked up, uh, who was it? So all those guys he locked up, Marion Gabrick and Dustin Brown and all these guys to these awful contracts. And, I mean, Rob Blake has done a half-decent job, but they, they still took it in the teeth. Is that hefty bio for Phaneuf that they had to take on for getting rid of Gabrick? Well, and the other trade, the uh, <laughs> bigger of the trades, uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton traded Milan Lucic and a conditional third-round pick to Calgary in exchange for James Neal. Uh, both of them on uh, pretty decent contracts. James Neal is at uh, four years at 5.75. Lucic has four years left at $6 million. The condition on that third-round pick is bizarre. Neal has to score 21 goals, and Lucic has to score 10 fewer goals then Neil. So essentially from what I can gather there, that is in place just in case Neil finds his stride with Edmonton, say along Connor McDavid, and then uh you know, that way Calgary doesn't feel like they completely lost that trade. Well, I think they lost that trade regardless. <laughs> like just on the sheer fact that Lucic has to be uh, protected in expansion. Like I, I do not understand this deal from Calgary's standpoint. Lucic like can barely skate, he can barely pick up the pace, and just the lot the, the expansion protectedness blows my mind. I don't know what they're doing. And Calgary is one of these teams that, you know, they need all the expansion protection spots that they could get. You know, Goudreau, Monaghan, Backlund, Lindholm, Jankowski, and then on defense you have Giordano and Hannafin and Hamnick and Brody, and now Lucic is gonna eat one of these spots. Oh yeah, I'm not even counting Kachuk and Bennett. So uh, I don't get this deal. I know there was rumors that they wanted to add some sandpaper to their lineup because they lost Garnet Hathaway in free agency. I don't really get it, but 
you know, James Neal, like, he only had one bad season. Now, granted, it was awful. It was an awful season. But, you know, the guy is, what, a seven-time 20-goal scorer? And he's, and he seems like the kind of guy that is just the perfect fit on McDavid's wing that he's just going to get his career rejuvenated by McDavid. So this is a brilliant deal by Ken Holland, and I think that they have as much upside with James Neal while Calgary has little to no upside with Milan Lucic. He one two three four five six seven eight nine ten time twenty goal scorer James Neal. Good yeah. lord, one forty goal season, but that was eleven twelve. But yeah, besides this past year, we only had seven goals and nineteen points. He's been a pretty consistent offensive force uh, since he entered the league in two thousand eight. So, not entirely sure <laughs> what uh, Calgary was thinking on that one, but. Uh, Hey, I guess that's what happens when Peter Trelli leaves. Edmonton makes a good move for the first time in I don't know how long. And that, that that's the thing. Like, even his last season in Vegas, he scored 25 goals and 44 points. I think there was just a bad fit in Calgary. Apparently, he really did not mesh well with Bill Peters. And Bill Peters played him a lot in the bottom six. And James Neal has always kind of been that player that he needs a decent, or if not star forward to play with. You know, he obviously played with uh, Crosby and Malkin in Pittsburgh. Then he moved on to uh, Nashville where he had guys like Ryan Johansson. But I don't know. I don't get this deal from Calgary's perspective. I I just can't understand anyone voluntarily taking on Milan Lucic's contract. That That's what boggles my mind. I know that Edmonton ate, what, 12.5% of it? Something like that, yeah. But yeah, I, I just don't get it. And for me, it's just no movement clause protection. I think they each have four years left remaining. So the term is relatively the same. But when you look at both players' body of work, like you just think that Neil is bound to be the guy to maybe pick it up as opposed to Lucic, who, I don't know, he just sandbagged a Connor McDavid line. And for you to look at bad beside Connor McDavid when a guy like Alex Chieson looked like a good player beside Connor McDavid... That says something about where you're at in your career. Yeah, I mean, contract-wise, it's kind of relatively similar for the most part, but it's the production you're going to get from that contract that looks really ugly. And uh, I don't know. I don't know why Calgary would uh, bring somebody like Milan Lucic in, but they did. And I just, again, like I'll reiterate, James Neal just seems like these one of those players that if you stick him beside Connor McDavid, he's at least going to get 15 to 20 goals. Like, I just can't see how he doesn't. And, you know, five and a half, he makes, what, five and a half million then? That's his cap hit? 5.75 for Neil. 5.75. And if you get 15 to 20 goals out of a guy who makes that kind of money in today's NHL, where, like, an average second-line player makes six to seven million, it's not that bad. Sure, maybe it's a smidge overpayment, but... You saw what Lucic did beside Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and it was awful. And now you're going to put a guy like Neil, who has notoriously good seasons with star players. As you mentioned, he has one 40-goal season under his belt and 10 20-goal seasons. Uh, I, I just don't know what Brad Tree Living was thinking on this, especially that you're taking on that kind of Lucic money and you still haven't locked up Matthew Kachuk. That's what boggles my mind. Yeah, that's the interesting one for me. Lucic becomes the fifth highest played, highest paid player on the Flames behind Gaudreau, Monaghan, Backlund, and Giordano. 
while Bennett and Kachuk are not signed yet. So, uh, and they got uh, a couple other contracts coming up over here. So, not entirely sure <laughs> what they were thinking with this one, but I uh, guess that one will bite them in the ass sooner or later. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you look at Calgary, and they still don't really have that much cap space to play with. And that's the frightening thing for them. You know, they have just under $10 million left, and they still have Bennett to sign and Matthew Kachuk. And even their goalies, that that's the frightening thing for me. Like, right now they have Cam Talbot and John Gillies locked up as David Riddick is still an RFA. And Man, oh, man. They, they, but they're notorious for these. Like, they always go out in free agency and sign bad contracts. It's been like a theme, you know. First it was Mason Raymond. Then it was Michael Froelich. Then it was Troy Brower. Then it was James Neal. Like, it's just this repetitive, like, throwing out big money for guys who are pretty much past their prime. And I don't know. Obviously, they're, they're a good team as they finished first in the West, but then got kind of bitch-smacked by the Avalanche. But a lot of these contracts are just going to sandbag them for a while. Well, let's... Uh, change the topic here to kind of going through each division individually and kind of predicting what the top three are going to look like. Uh, let's start in the far west here. Let's start in the Pacific Division. Uh, we talked a little about Calgary already. San Jose has uh, made some moves. Golden Knights made their moves pretty much during the season. Uh, Coyotes, Canucks, Ducks, Oilers, Kings... Not necessarily the powerhouse division that it once was a couple of years ago, but uh, still some interesting talent there. Yeah, well, I mean, it has Connor McDavid, right? Yeah. So, obviously, their eyes will be on that division. I, I mean, it's kind of like a division for all the bad reasons because they have a lot of dysfunctional teams on it. You know, you have the Vancouver Canucks that no one really knows what the hell they're doing. You got the San Jose Sharks who are kind of just trying to stay afloat amongst, like, the top teams in the NHL, handing out big-time contracts. And then you got the Golden Knights who all of a sudden are, like, the, the most cap-strapped team in the NHL. You know, the Coyotes, you don't really know what they're doing, really, because they've been spinning their tires for, what, four or five years now? At least. I mean, if, if I look at this division on paper, I still have to go with the Sharks and the Golden Knights as the top teams. I think that they kind of stayed status quo for most of the offseason. And the Ducks are going through a mini-rebuild. The LA Kings, like, I, I think I, they're the only team that didn't make <laughs> one single free agent acquisition or something. But, yeah... It's a very, it's a very unintriguing division from the look of it. Yeah, Sharks are just trying to keep pace, trying to get whatever they can out of the last years that they're going to be competitive before they get choked out by the cap. The Golden Knights do have a lot of talent up front, but uh, you know, outside of Mark Andre Fleury, they don't have a lot going on in the back end. The Coyotes are you know living on a hope and a prayer like they have been since 2012, 2013, whenever that was in their last playoff appearance. The Canucks are a mess. The Ducks are a mess. The Oilers have McDavid, but I feel like they'll never be able to get their shit together long enough. Kings are a mess. So. Uh, Flames still have enough talent there. I don't know if they're going to finish top of the division again, but uh, the, the you know they finished uh, it was Flame Sharks Golden Knights last year, and it may be that way again this year. Maybe the Oilers are competitive and fight for a spot this year, but uh, I think this division is uh, pretty much down to three teams at this point. Yeah, because you can't really make a case for the Coyotes and the Kings and the Ducks. Like, I think those teams are easy to be written off. Obviously, in today's NHL, with so much parity, there's almost, you know, a chance that any team can make it. 
But then you kind of get into the other echelon where, like, the Oilers and maybe the Canucks have made enough moves to, like, hover around that uh, wild card spot. I think the Flames are still good enough. They have enough star power to get them in, uh, like, at least in the third spot. I think the wild card is going to be taken up by two teams in the Central Division, and we'll get to them next. But, yeah, I think for the teams in the Pacific to have a hope and a prayer to get in, you have to finish inside that top three because I think that the Central is going to take over those two wild card spots. I think the only two locks to get into the playoffs of this division are the Sharks and the Knights, like you mentioned. Now let's move yeah. to the Central Division. You got the Predators, Jets, Blues, Stars, Avalanche, Blackhawks, Wild. Uh, you know, Predators are going to be an interesting team. I don't know if they're going to be the force. I think we kind of saw it last year. They did kind of slip a little bit. I, I think their window is slowly starting to close. Uh, the Jets, you know, didn't really live up to the hype last year after making it to the Western Conference Final the year before. Blues obviously won the Stanley Cup and are still a powerhouse of a team. The Stars did make some interesting additions with Pavelski and Corey Perry. The Avalanche have made a couple moves around. Blackhawks are trying to force their window back open at all costs. And the Minnesota Wild are, you know, they're still the Minnesota Wild of just kind of being a team. Yeah, well, we were just talking about it was hard to make a case for most of the teams in the Pacific to make the playoffs. Well, I think the only team that you could write off 100% in this division is the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Because the Wild and the Blackhawks were the only two teams to miss the playoffs last year from this division. The Avalanche improved. The Stars improved. The Blues and the Predators pretty much stayed the same for the most part. And the Jets were the only team to take a significant step back. So I would write off the Wild like 100% here. I would, I would put the Stars, the Avalanche, and the Predators, and the Blues as for sure locks get back in. But I could see the Blackhawks overtaking the Jets as uh, the fifth team to make it out of this division. You know, the Jets really took it in the teeth in terms of who they lost this year. And the Blackhawks, in my opinion, are one of the most improved teams in the NHL during this offseason. So, yeah, I... I, I would really be worried if I'm a Jets fan right now. Yeah, that seems about right. Predators, Blues, Stars, and then the Avalanche, and then one of the Blackhawks or Jets. That would be uh, that'd be my prediction as well. I don't think the Wild are going to do anything. Uh, they've always just kind of been that team to you know hang around in that spot. So, Moving over to the Eastern Conference, we'll start with the Atlantic. We'll save the Metro for the finale here. But the Atlantic Division, uh, pretty set in stone as far as I'm concerned. Tampa, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, Florida, Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa. Obviously, Ottawa and Detroit aren't much threats this season. The Canadians and Sabres have the potential to make some noise you know the Canadians just barely missed the playoffs last year the Sabres you know have been kind of waiting for it to be their year for <laughs> how long now four or five years maybe longer and then I think the top three of Tampa Boston and Toronto are going to finish in the top three maybe not necessarily in that order but are going to finish in the top three again yeah I think that's the same bet you know the Lightning the Bruins and the Leafs were top five in the entire NHL for the majority of last year you know, the Panthers on paper should be able to, you know, kind of fight for that top three spot. I'm going to reserve that judgment until I actually see them on the ice because it kind of seems like every year with the Panthers, we're waiting for them to break out. But obviously, this, the additions that they made just with Quenville and Bobrovsky are pretty significant. I also really like the addition of Strawman on defense. So I'm, I'm confident that they'll at the very least snag a wild card spot. 
And the Canadians and the Sabres, like, the Canadians were there. They missed the post by, what, two points last year on the very last day of the regular season. Yes. I yes. figure they'll be in that hunt again. And the Sabres, they're kind, of, they're kind of in the same boat as the Panthers for me, but the Panthers have made just more significant moves, and I like their core a bit more. But I think you touched on it. You're just kind of waiting for them to, you know, finally break out because you see all this talent on their roster. But after last season – until they actually do it, I'm just going to assume that they're going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I look at the Panthers roster, and, and it's actually pretty good. Huberto, Barkov, Hoffman, Trocek, Dadanov. They got Ekblad, Yandel, Strahlman on defense. They got, obviously, Bobrovsky and Nett is a huge improvement over a 40-year-old Roberto Luongo and James Reimer. So I, I think they have enough talent. I definitely think they will be uh, floating around in the wild card spot. I don't think they're going to be able to knock out any of uh, the big three in that division. But I think they should be able to hang around in there if the Canadians keep doing what they're doing. Obviously, they didn't make uh, too many big moves in terms of what they gained, but they didn't necessarily lose a whole lot either. So that, uh, you know, they may should be able to stay competitive. Sabres, who knows? Uh, you know, it can go either way. They started the season strong last year, and then right around Christmas, they completely fell apart and only won like 10 games the rest of the year. So don't know what to make quite of them yet, but that should be a very competitive division, at least for the wild card spots. And to the Metropolitan Division, Capitals, Islanders, Penguins, Hurricanes, Blue Jackets, Flyers, Rangers, Devils. Not sure if there's any one team I could write off in terms of not making the playoffs. You, Devils are probably a safe bet, and I think the Islanders are a prime candidate to regress. The Blue Jackets were probably going to regress just because they don't have the same talent they did, but their roster is still not too bad, all things considered. Obviously, they lost the goaltender, which is going to be the, the big one they lost Bobrovsky, but uh, overall, I think this division is uh, fairly head-scratching in terms of who makes the top three and who fights for a wild card. Yeah, I think this is the team that has the most parity. Like you said, you can't really like pinpoint one team that is a guarantee to make it. And to the same extent, you can't really guarantee one team that will make it because obviously you kind of just have to put the Capitals and Penguins in the top three yeah. as yeah. they've been there for what a decade, ever since Ovechkin and Crosby came in ever, until those guys completely fall off a cliff. I think they're safe, safe bet to pick. And then you kind of get like, you know, the Islanders and the Rangers and, I put the Hurricanes and Flyers there as potential team, uh, candidates to make that third spot. I think that the Blue Jackets and Devils, if I had to pick, are the two teams that will not contend. I like what the Devils did, don't get me wrong, but I think there's just a lot of work to do on that team. You know, Subban and Hughes are nice additions, but that goaltending scares the hell out of me. The health of guys like Subban and Taylor Hall what will Jack Hughes do? There's still a lot more questions than answers on that team. And for the Blue Jackets, they lost like pretty much their entire core. And I, they still do have good players, and don't get me wrong. You know, you still have Wierenski and Seth Jones and Dubois and Atkinson and Boone Jenner. These are good pieces, but I don't know. They, I just don't think that they're good enough. And I think a lot of teams around them, like the Flyers and the Rangers, improved. So yeah, I, I think that the the I would say the Caps and the Penguins are the sole locks to make it, and the two teams that are most likely to miss would be the Jackets and the Devils. 
Yeah, that sounds yeah, about right. I, I pretty much agreed with you. That as long as Crosby and Ovechkin are around, you can pretty much assume the Capitals and Penguins are going to make it. I've seen, oh, the people, oh, the Penguins aren't going to make it this year, and this is the year they fall off a cliff. And I'm, well, I don't think so. I think there's still enough natural talent on that roster to at least keep them competitive. I don't think they're going to completely fall off a cliff. Um, Islanders, <laughs> I wrote the Islanders off last year. I remember on episode of the Ombi Puckcast, they have no chance. Well, they ended up dominating the Metro for most of the season until they were overtaken by the Capitals towards the end. But uh, yeah, I think the Devils and uh, Devils and Blue Jackets are probably low on the list. The Islanders, I don't really know. The Hurricanes, I don't really know. The Flyers and Rangers got better, but are they good enough to overtake anybody else? I just there's a lot of teams that you know for one reason or another. You can make an argument for, you know, snatching that third spot or second or third spot, I guess, depending on where the Penguins of Capitals fall. But, you know, one of the top three spots, then a wild card spot, which, you know, could be contested by, again, the Canadians, Panthers or Sabres if they get it together. So I think the Eastern Conference in general is going to be very competitive in terms of playoff positioning this year. Yeah, well, the Rangers are a very intriguing team because, you know, we touched on them locking up Truba, then they added Artemi Panarin, and Capocacco is going to come in, and they have all these nice, sexy-looking prospects who are joining their roster, like Heedle and Anderson and Brett Howden. Adam Fox expects to join the team now this season, who they got from Carolina. But again, there still are a few question marks. I'm not sure how much of an impact a lot of these kids are going to have. Let's see what Truba does in a more prominent role now with the Rangers as he was kind of shielded with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, you know, I like what the Flyers did. I think they're going to be significantly improved. And I think that they will be kind of in a dogfight with the Rangers and the Hurricanes to for that number three spot. The Islanders, it's like you said, like you look at that roster and you just assume that they're going to regress. But like you mentioned, last year I thought they were going to be at the bottom of that division but they were anything but. So it's kind of hard to judge that team. Barry Trotz obviously had a huge impact on them, but I think this division is going to be the most intriguing to watch in terms of, you know, just who's going to come in and who's going to come out because I think they're so close together. Not much separates all these teams. It's just the Islanders roster. You look at it and they, Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Zizekas, Leo Kamarov, Madden Martin, Ross Johnson, Tom Kuhnhockel. And look at this and go, okay, that's the vast majority of their forwards, but they dominated most of the year. Granted, Robin Lanier played out of his mind good and Barry Trotz is a very good coach. You know, they replaced Robin Lanier with Semyon Varlamov. So, you know, kind of a lateral move if Vardalmov can stay healthy, which has kind of been the big question over the past few years, and their defense isn't anything super special, but they clearly can hang. So, don't know what to make of the Islanders, and 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 that goes for the Hurricanes as well. You know, in theory, their roster isn't anything special, but you know they did catch lightning in a bottle to some extent last year. But I think there's more than enough, at least potential there to keep them afloat. So it's it's very hard to predict the Metropolitan Division. I don't think any one team besides the Penguin and Capitals you can really say for sure is going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, and that's the thing because, you know, we were going to get into our teams who we thought improved the most and regressed the most, and a lot of these picks come from the Metro Division. You know, four out of these six picks that I have come from this division because this division has been so active this summer – some teams regressing, some teams improving, and that's what's so cool to and intriguing about it because they're so close to begin with, but then there's so many po- moving parts during the offseason that 
it's just so hard to predict. And I guess that will lead into our top three picks out of the East to advance and the top three picks who regress this offseason. Well, you want to do that? Your top three to with the improve and not improve in the East. Yeah, pretty much. And then I guess we'll move over to the West. All right. So you want me to go first, Dan? Or yeah, go want... ahead. Go first. So my top three picks to improve in the East are the Panthers, the Flyers, and the Rangers. I think the Panthers made a few bold moves, but moves that are really going to do them some good. I think Quenville behind that bench, obviously one of the best coaches in the NHL, so he can get that team back on track. And, you know, Bobrovsky coming in and taking over for Robert Luongo and James Reimer is going to be exactly what the doctor ordered. I like Anton Strawman as well. I think that they're pretty much as sure a bet as you can make to get back into the playoffs this season. I like what the Flyers did. I think they insulated the team well. They addressed the need for veteran blue liners on the back end and a second-line center, despite heavily overpaying for them. Kevin Hayes is what they needed. So as long as the goaltending holds up, I really like the Flyers to improve, and the New York Rangers as well. I think adding Kako and Truba and Adam Fox and Artemi Panarin, along with the kids who are expected to improve, will get that team fast-tracked out of their rebuild. So yeah. Florida Panthers, Philadelphia Flyers, and New York Rangers are my top three most improved teams from uh, the East this uh, summer. Yeah, that's who I had as well. I think Florida, you know, finally found a goaltender that can play well. They got a good coach in Joe Quinville. The Rangers obviously went out and they finished up their rebuild. Granted, they spent all of their cap space to do it, but they, uh, you know, got Panarin, got uh, Capococco in the draft, and there should be fine, and uh, Jacob Truba as well. Flyers... Flyers got better. Uh, you know, it's hard to deny that. You know, uh, Hayes fills a role. They brought in Niskan and Braun to help the defense, which may come in extra handy if Provorov doesn't get signed before the season starts. And, and you know, you got Carter Hart there. I wish they did more to find a backup goaltender, but as long as Hart doesn't have his sophomore slump or nobody gets hurt, he should at least be able to carry the load for a majority of the season. So, And there's already enough talent there from, from past. So hopefully the Flyers can get it together and uh, be competitive. But, yeah, I think the three easy teams in the West, as far as wins go, are Florida Rangers and the Flyers. Yeah, so that will lead into my three biggest losers this offseason. The Columbus Blue Jackets, number one. They lost everyone, pretty much. <laughs> Dezingle, Columbus, Columbus, Dezingle, Duchesne, Panarin, Bobrovsky. It's just, I don't see how they're going to recover from that, especially when we just mentioned how the Flyers and the Rangers basically overpassed them for all intents and purposes. And, you know, Columbus got a wild card spot last year. And I expect Florida, as do you, to grab a wild card spot. So I really don't like the Jackets offseason. Uh, the Islanders as well, they're up there for me because I just feel a lot of teams around them were improving. They kind of moved on from Robin Lehner and replaced him with Barlamov. I'm not really sure the thinking behind that, but time will tell. But at the very least, they just kind of spun their tires and did nothing to add to that great season that they had. So not a big fan of them. And for the final team for me that regressed is the Montreal Canadiens because they're kind of like the Islanders, that they kind of just stayed status quo. They added kind of randoms to their lineup like Ben Sherrod and um, Nick Cousins, as we know well in Philly. And, I, again, I just think a lot of teams surrounded around them improved. You know, the Panthers are in their division. The Sabres are in their division. They may break out. Then you add like other teams in the wild card mix, like the Flyers and the Rangers and the Hurricanes, and I, I just don't see how the Canadians did anything to improve their chances of trying to get into the playoffs. Yes, they added Keith Kincaid, 
to replace Antiniemi, which was obviously a big focal point of that of their loss this uh, past season. But I just don't think that's enough to keep pace with the teams that got better around them. Yep, and we are on the same uh, same wavelength yet again in Columbus. Obviously lost Duchesne, they lost Bobrovsky and Panarin. I think there's still enough talent on the team where they're not going to be, uh, you know, bottom two or three in the league, but I, I don't think they're going to be able to compete for a wild card spot or uh, the, you know, one of a one of the Metro spots. I just don't think there's enough talent there, especially with the teams around them that are better. Montreal and the Islanders, those are two teams that we heard a lot of rumors about going into the summer. Oh, they're going to get Duchesne and Panarin and, and you know, Montreal offer sheeted uh, uh, Sebastian Ajo, which was comical because it was an all horrible offer sheet. And uh, they didn't necessarily lose a whole lot, but they didn't necessarily gain a whole lot either. And I think, again, when you have teams like Florida and the Rangers and, and Philadelphia that have taken steps forward, it is hard to stay the same in this uh, conference in your separate divisions there. So I, I think the easy losers in the East are Columbus, Montreal, and the Islanders. So yeah, now moving to the West here. Um, for the winners, I will start with the Dallas Stars. Love what they did. You know, adding guys like Pavelski and Perry to, you know, insulate the top guys like Radulov, Sega, and Ben. Exactly what they needed. I think they ultimately lost out to the uh, St. Louis Blues because of their lack of depth. Um, so I really like what they did. I think they were a team that flew under the radar last year. Ben Bishop, when he's healthy, is a top, one of the top goaltenders in the NHL. Another year of Miro Heiskanen. Uh, will just add to his experience on that blue line that seems to be up and coming with John Klingberg and Essa Lindell. Really like what they're doing, and they're going to be be a dangerous team in that loaded Central Division. So staying with the Central Division, I'll go with the Chicago Blackhawks. I love what they did insulating Corey Crawford with Robin Lehner. That's been a big Achilles heel for them for the last number of years, whether it be Cam Ward or Anton Forsberg or Colin Delia. Their backup goaltender position has just always, you know, hurt them, especially with Crawford's increasing injury concerns over the last number of years. And then they helped insulate their defense with guys like Mata and Calvin DeHaan. You know, guys like Keith, uh, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook have regressed in the last number of years, and they didn't have a lot of, you know, help on that back end to, you know, compensate for that. And I like those moves bringing in DeHaan and Mata. So, Based on what they did on defense and in net, which were their biggest problems over the last two or three seasons, I really like what the Blackhawks did. And the Avalanche, that's a team that not so much for what they added, although I really like what they did acquiring Nazem Kadri. I just like how that team is going to progress from within. They took Bowen Byram fourth overall as a result of that Matt Duchesne trade. They obviously added Nazem Kadri, and they're going to get a full year of Kale McCarr. And I just think that this is a team that as long as their goaltending uh, holds up, obviously they don't have Varlamov anymore. Grubauer is the bona fide number one. So as long as their goaltending holds up, I really like the Avalanche to push forward ahead. They almost beat the San Jose Sharks in the playoffs, and they have one of the best lines in hockey. I really think that Rotten will get signed sooner rather than later. So led by Rotten and McKinnon and Landis Fogg, throw Kadri into that mix. I really like the Colorado Avalanche. Well, again, we are on the same page. I had Dallas because I mainly just because I'm jealous of the moves they made. I, I wanted Joe Pavelski or Corey Perry or both for the Flyers this year. I think they'd have been good fits, but uh, obviously they're one of their biggest issues with depth. 
And I think uh, Pavelski and Perry still have enough in the tank to help contribute for another year. Jesus. Ben Bishop, easy for me to say, is obviously one of the top goalies in the league. Mira Heiskanen continues to improve. They signed Ursula Lundell. They have Klinberg. There's enough talent there to go around. I had the Colorado Avalanche because they had a great summer. They addressed pretty much what they needed. They went into last year and had one solid line. And by the time, you know, they dominated during the regular season, when they got to the playoffs, they just couldn't keep it up. Uh, They added Kadri, Donskoy, uh, Burkovsky there. So, they obviously had a more scoring, which is exactly what they need. Their goaltending isn't exactly anything spectacular with Philip Grubauer and Pavel Frazkor, as I believe his name is. Uh, so not exactly anything super special there, but, you know, they lost, uh, uh, what's his name, Tyson Barry on defense. So hopefully they're expecting uh, Kale McCarr to take him over there. So maybe they have enough talent, but they definitely addressed one of their bigger needs in offensive depth. And the Blackhawks did what... They had to do. They got Lanier to help Crawford, who's unfortunately had some concussion issues lately. They added Calvin DeHaan on the blue line, which, you know, should help uh, DeHaan and Alimata, who should help kind of carry some of the Seabrook-Keith weight there. And the offense still looks pretty good. They got rid of Anisimov, but uh, I think there's still enough talent on that uh, offense there to keep them going. So... They are definitely, I think, a heavy contender to find themselves at least in a playoff hunt this coming season. Yeah, so... As we shift over to the losers, it continues with this trend of the Central Division, which I think is going to be fascinating to watch. The biggest loser this offseason, and this goes for East and West, the Winnipeg Jets. Man, oh man. You know, they lost Myers, Sherrod, Truba, Brendan Tanev. Line A seems to not even want to sign there. Connor still is without a contract. I just think based on the guys that they lost, the lack of additions to replace them, we just th- ran through all their division rivals who improved. I just don't like where the Winnipeg Jets are heading. I don't think that they're going to have a backup plan to keep them afloat, especially in that top three. I think, honestly, they'd be lucky to secure a wild card spot this offseason. I mean, this coming season. So, yeah, I think they really took a hard kick in the teeth. The Calgary Flames, um, you know, they finished atop of the Pacific Division, which... I think was a product of that division just not really being that good last season. To be honest, they always kind of felt like pretenders. As we saw, uh, the Avalanche made short work of them come the playoffs this past year. And I think that was a big telling factor. They did really nothing to improve. You know, they switched from Mike Smith to Cam Talbot, which I don't know. I would argue that was taking a step backwards, but that's to be seen. That Milan Lucic deal for James Neal, that was just an awful contract, uh, trade. I don't know how you justify that. Obviously, Neal didn't do much for them last year, but I can't see how adding Lucic is the answer. So, I, Although Calgary still has a shot to make the playoffs just based on what division they're in and it probably being the worst division in hockey, I don't like them you know, doing anything to improve their chances of being a cup contender. And the Minnesota Wild, they did pretty much nothing, and they are in that central division. I think they will be finishing last again, like they did this past season. They made little to no noise, and I just can't understand what direction they're going in. They still have an aging core in Parise and Koivu and Suter. It looks like they're hanging, uh, hanging on to Jared Spurgeon. So just because they did absolutely nothing and they have no clear-cut uh, direction... Minnesota Wild are big losers for me as well. 
Yeah, more or less similar on this one as well. Winnipeg, I think, is just the clear-cut loser. They lost everybody and <laughs> didn't add much, and if they can't get Line A back, they're, they're in some trouble. Um, this, uh, the Flames, I didn't necessarily have them on here, but I totally agree with you in terms of, you know, they just didn't add. Uh, you know, if we're going to tear apart teams like Montreal, the Islanders, and we can tear apart the Flames for that kind of stuff. And obviously, adding Lucic, uh, yeah, the uh, what yesterday, two days ago, whenever it was, uh, is a big dumb move as well. But uh, I think Vancouver is the team that I would consider a loser. Uh, they made some moves. They put a whole ton of money in Tyler Myers, but uh, what six million for five years, and they tried to tweak their defense. But I just don't think they have it. I think they're going to need to rely a lot again on uh, Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and uh, Elias Patterson there, and potentially Thatcher Demko and Net. And the other loser, Minnesota comes up, but I just had L.A. just because L.A. sucks. They didn't do anything this year. They're 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 at the bottom of the barrel uh, at this point, so they got a lot there. But Minnesota, I totally agree in terms of Minnesota. They're just they they've been a team for years now that are just kind of there. You know, they they were playoff appearance. They had playoff appearances when Yao was there, and it just didn't work. They were eliminated in the first round, and I believe made it the second round once or twice, then got crushed by the Blackhawks both years. So I uh, don't see much from Minnesota. They've always just kind of been that team that just kind of exists. So there's too many losers in the West Conference to to pick just three, I think. Yeah, and, you know, you're running through, like, the Canucks and the the LA Kings. And, you know, aside from the Golden Knights and the Sharks, you can make a case that every team in that division is hot garbage. Yeah. Like, you know, the Canucks, you don't really know what they're doing. The Ducks are just entering a rebuild. You know, the Kings, I don't even know what's going on there, to be honest. Like, (laughs) I'm so at a loss for words with what's going on in Los Angeles. You know, last year it looked like they were ready to take a step forward. They signed Ilya Kovalchuk, and then this year they fired John Stevens, what was it, 10 games into the season? Something like that, yeah. And then I think you ran through the Coyotes earlier that I... I, I couldn't tell you what their game plan was if you mapped it out to me on an Excel sheet. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just – that Pacific Division, it's kind of wide open for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not looking good. I, I just – there's I, I like the Ducks roster for the most part, but I just don't think they have it anymore. You know, they're, you know Kessler's done for the season already. Getzlov, I don't think he has it anymore. They got rid of Perry, which I think was a bit preemptive, but they needed the cap space. You know, Henrique is already 29 and isn't quite the guy. Silverberg is fine, but he's already 28. God, I feel like he hasn't been around that long. But, you know, they, they got uh, quite a bit of youth coming up. Uh, Gibson is obviously st- – Still, I think, one of the top guys in the league. It's unfortunate he's playing for such a bad team. But uh, the Kings are just uh, a disaster, a mess, whatever you want to call it. They are, uh, you know, they're very much stuck between the past and the future. With guys so, like Kovalchuk and Brown, pardon me. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kopitar is fine, but Kovalchuk and Brown are still there. Jeff Carter's still around. You know, I think they're very much trying to hang on to the past while trying to do the present. And the Coyotes, I mean, they added Phil Kessel, but uh, <laughs> outside of Phil Kessel uh, and Oliver Ekman Larson, there's still not a whole lot of things on this roster that are making me go, oh, boy, they're going to be competitive this year. So I think they have enough prospects coming up that maybe at some point over the next little while they'll be. Uh, at least uh, in a hunt for a playoff spot, but I don't think it's going to happen this season. So, Dan, if I had to give, if I had to make you pick one big winner from the entire NHL and one big loser from the entire NHL, what would your two picks be? 
probably Florida as the winner and the Jets as the loser. Yeah, well, I, I would say the Stars as the big winner because I think they were very close last year and the pieces that they added were exactly what they needed. I think it was all about depth for them and they got it. And I like where their young defensemen are heading. And yeah, the Jets are the loser. I just, in terms of ex- organizational expectation and where they're at, I just think that I don't even know if they're a playoff team anymore, to be quite honest with you. I I don't know. I mean, they're certainly not top three in the Central anymore. I, I just I, I guess it depends on how bad the Pacific is and how much the you know the Avalanche and Blackhawks improve to see if they can even snag a, a wild card spot at that point. Yeah, because the the Predators and the Blues pretty much stayed the same. Yeah, obviously the Predators swapped out Subban and added Duchesne. And then you get the Stars and the Hawks and the Avalanche who just vastly improved. And besides the Wild, the Winnipeg Jets are just kind of there. So I really don't like Winnipeg's chances here to improve uh, or, you know, just even maintain what they did last year. Nope, neither do I. I don't think they're going to be much of a threat this year. I think they still have a couple guys there uh, that could maybe carry. But, you know, that's put a whole lot of weight in Blake Wheeler at this point in his career. I believe he's... uh, in his, what, early 30s, 32 years old, Shifley's there, but, you know, Nikolai Ehlers, who they have reportedly wanted to move on from for a while, Brian Little's getting older, you know, Matthew Perot is is getting older as well, so, I don't know, I, I don't think they have it this year, I don't think they're going to be much of a threat, uh, especially if they can't get Line A back, then they're really in trouble. That would be brutal, if they can't get Line A under contract, that, I don't even know where they would go from here. But we'll see. You know, they lost, obviously, Hayes was just a deadline acquisition, but they lost Hayes. They lost Tannen. Those were two guys who were staples on their third line. And now their defense is completely gutted. And they, I, I think as of right now, they're your top four there. You're looking at Morrissey, Bufflin, Kulikov, and Nathan Bollier. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's pretty rough when you look at it like that. So, yeah. Well, that runs through our... I guess early season predictions based on the lack of excuse Word. me the lack of news at this dead time of year. Far too early predictions, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, you got anything else you want to talk about this week? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, like we could talk about uh, baseball, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way the Phillies have been playing, I don't want to talk about them either. So that's good. Um, yeah, you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at Adamarco25, where you can find my work and everyone else's work at TFP, which is the fourth period's Twitter handle. But I'll just let you not know that not a whole lot is going on there right now. <laughs> well, I do have a lot going on. You can find me at DanTheFlyerFan. You can find the site at BrotherlyPuck, at Brotherly underscore pod, even though this is the only show we have going on at this point, at NationalPuck and at NationalPodNet. Uh, check out BrotherlyPuck.com, your weekly summer series top five every Monday, How They Became a Flyer, which is the trade lineage is on Tuesday. History of Flyers jersey numbers are Wednesday. And then on Friday, you got the abbreviated history of series. Check out this past week's, if you have not, check out this coming week's, uh, which will be fun. I believe the OMB Puckcast returns next week, the 29th or the 30th, I believe, are the dates on that one. Check them out at at ONB Puck that Anthony and I are also both on. So uh, 
yeah, everybody, stay cool. It's 100 freaking degrees here, and I'm tired of it. But, uh, you know, other than that, everybody, we'll be back. Maybe next week, maybe not. Depends if there's any news. But uh, stay tuned. We'll be back. See you later. None of that. It's a completely new slate. So give it a chance. I, You know what, Dan? Like, I'm more optimistic than you, and we do these shows all the time, and you don't think that they're going to be too good this year? I think they will. But, again, you're being realistic, and I understand your point. After years of garbage, I totally get why. But maybe I just think that a lot of this had to do with the culture that Ron Hextall put in place. And I think just the moves that Fletcher made will, like, inspire the current core that's returning from last year to play better. But again, people, stop thinking that Fletcher's a puppet. Like, get over it. He's making moves. He's trying. And for all these people that want Hextall to come back, you know what? You better count your blessings because eventually you're going to realize that he would have just continued to do more harm than good. This team is at least trying to advance themselves. And like you said, although maybe that none of the moves were sexy ads and I would have probably could have done without them, on some level, but at least he did something. He did something. He wants to improve the team. And like you said, that's all you can ask for. I try and understand every fan base. I try and understand every opinion from the fan base. Every angle. I get the optimism. I do. Here's the Flyers are your favorite team. I get it. I'm not here to, to, to shit on that. Because the Flyers are my favorite team too. I wouldn't do this if I didn't like the Flyers. I would love him to be successful. I just don't see it. And maybe it is just years and years and years and years of believing and then getting shit on immediately. I bought into it last year. I thought, man, shit's going to change, and it didn't. And I'm just tired of getting my hopes up for nothing. You know, if they brought in somebody worth it this year, if Perrin was here right now, God, I'd be the happiest man in the world. If Subban was here, Truba, anybody else. Big addition, made worth it, that's fine. I believe that the Flyers are going to be better. I have never once said that they're not going to be better. But I don't know if this is the team that's going to make things happen. If this is the team that's going to push the needle. But I, I get it. You know, I, I, the, the fans have every reason to be negative. Because there's plenty of shit that's happened over the last six years to be negative over. But I get the optimism too. I just don't see it that way. I'm just trying to be realistic. Maybe I just don't want to set myself up to get you know disappointed again. Again! For the 20th year in a row. I don't know. I just... I'm going to listen. I would be the happiest man in the world if we sat down here in November and the Flyers started the season 10 and 0. They had a 10 point lead on second place in the Metro. It'd be great. I'd be so happy. But I just, I'm not prepared to say that's what's going to happen yet. And everybody has their own opinion. I get it. I ain't here to shit on you. So I'm here to shit on anybody. Even these people on Twitter like to unfollow me, unblock me, whatever it is, because I said something realistic that they don't want to hear more power to them and you know what just to close this thing out here i'm gonna make a bold statement and maybe it's because it was a time in my life where every single year the flies were competitive and every year you could make a case that they were a cup contender i would say that the paul holmgren is probably the best general manager this team has ever had and obviously it's not a big pool to choose from because like we said if we're just counting the modern era you have clark Fletcher, Hextall, and Holmgren. Fletcher has only been here for seven months, so it's not really fair to put him into that pool. Clark had a few good competitive teams, but again, he made a lot of moves that hurt the team as well. 
And Hextall, he did a whole lot of nothing. You know, four playoff game wins in, what, five seasons he was here? Yep. So you know what, Holmgren, every year, year in, year out, the team was competitive. And even his last season, where the team was considered as a disaster, they still finished third in the Metro and took the Rangers to seven games in a very competitive series. So you know what, for all these people that shit on Holmgren, you know, actually look at his track record, and in my opinion... At least in the modern era, he's the best GM this team has ever had. Chuck Fletcher hasn't been here long. Ron Hextall was a freaking disaster. Holmgren was there from 2006 to 2014. Clark was there from 94 to 2006 when they made it to the finals once in five division titles. Russ Farrell, uh, Farewell was there from uh, 1990 to 94. Those were the years when they missed the playoffs. Bobby Clark was there again from 84 to 90. When they had two Stanley Cup final appearances. Bob McCammon was there from 83 to 84 for only one year. Keith Allen was there from 69 to 83 where they won the Stanley Cup twice. And then Bud Poy, the first one from uh, 96 to 69. So it is uh, fairly easy to say. Maybe you could make an argument for Keith Allen. But, uh, you know, I think Holmgren is probably far and away the best one. He made the team competitive for a very long amount of time, for almost 10 years. Kind of fell off the head there the last year or two, but he made the moves. And he's not secretly running the organization anymore, people. He's not. Yeah, please get over that. He's gone. <laughs> now we have Chuck Fletcher, and all we can do is sit here and count our lucky stars. This is the year, and he's going to come in, and this is the year things change. But Holmgren's out of the picture. Scott Lawton's here for two more years. Still got uh, connecting Provorov news. Uh, I have no idea when the next episode of anything is at this point. We're kind of playing it by ear for a coast-to-coast return. Maybe next week if uh, there's more news, we can go over some of these more signings in depth. But uh, kind of play it by ear. Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at adamarco 25 or you can find my work at TFP. And you can find me at Dan the Flyer Fan. Find the site at Brotherly Puck. Listen to this show at Brother underscore pod at National Puck and at National Pod Net. Uh, summer series back this week as always top five on Monday uh, history of jersey number on Wednesday and abbreviated history of series on Friday the uh, trade lineage series is on Tuesday this week as well so that's it for us everybody thank you for listening goodbye and good night